This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this fifth Sunday of Lent is one of the most pivotal passages in the sacred scriptures. And it's easy enough to remember the citation. It's Jeremiah 31, 31. So at some point, I want you to go home and take out your Bibles and look up Jeremiah 31, 31. Here's the passage in question. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. That word covenant, berit in the Hebrew, is absolutely central to biblical revelation. St. Irenaeus taught us back in the second century that the best way to understand the history of salvation is as the story of covenants between God and his people. Covenants with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. That's the best way to understand the history of salvation, is the establishment of these covenants. So what is a berith? What is a covenant? Well, there's been a lot of work in recent years on this. Read uh, Dr. Scott Hahn for some of the details. But a covenant is not so much a contract that means an exchange of goods and services. You do this for me, I'll give you money, or I'll do this for you, and you do this for me. That's a contract. A covenant is rather a bond, a personal bond, a sharing of life. A marriage covenant comes to mind here. I will be yours, you'll be mine. That's covenant language. And so the characteristic biblical summary of the covenant is indeed, I will be your God and you will be my people. Not an exchange of goods and services, but an exchange of life, an exchange of persons. Notice, please, how the covenants in the Old Testament are typically sealed in blood and sacrifice. Think of Noah offering an animal upon exiting the ark, and thereby establishing a covenant. Think of Abraham, when God makes a covenant with him. The patriarch 
cuts a number of animals in two and then passes in between them. Remember it says then the, the, the uh, uh, flaming brazier passes between them. That was Abraham and, and Yahweh pledging their fidelity to each other. Think of Moses after the great Sinai covenant, sprinkling blood first on the altar and then on the people. Think finally of David, whose covenant with the Lord is signaled and renewed for about a thousand years through the blood sacrifice of the temple. Now, how come blood and sacrifice? Well, I think a couple reasons. First, blood signals life and the exchange of life. God wants to get his life into his people Israel, and he wants their life to be given in return to him. The high priest on the Day of Atonement in the Jerusalem Temple symbolized this exchange with admirable exactitude. Remember, the high priest would come out with a bowl of blood, having sprinkled the blood around the Holy of Holies and then sprinkling the blood on the people, recapitulating what Moses had done and establishing a blood bond between God and his people. The second reason why blood and sacrifice are so key to covenant is that we are off kilter. We are out of step with the divine life. And this means that getting online through the covenant will cost. It will hurt. And this is symbolized by spilled blood. They say when people brought animals to the Jerusalem temple to be sacrificed, what they were saying symbolically was, what's happening to this animal by rights should be happening to me. The, the blood of the animal symbolized the lifeblood poured out in reparation. Okay, with that background in mind, let's turn back to the magnificent passage from Jeremiah, one of Israel's greatest prophets. A man, by the way, who was prophesying during one of the most trying times in Israel's history. Jeremiah knew better than anyone else how fully Israel had failed to live up to the demands of the covenant. He knew all about the law given to Moses. He knew about the hundreds of thousands of sacrifices offered in the temple. But he furthermore knew that none of it was working. Israel still did not belong entirely to the Lord. And so, out of the depths, and I say he's prophesying in a very difficult time, when, when Babylon is encircling Israel, they know that they're, they're deeply threatened by their enemies. Out of the depths, he prophesies, and that's our passage, 3131, about a day to come, a day of fulfillment, when the covenant would be definitively sealed and lived out, when the law would no longer be a dead letter, unhonored and written only in stone, but would be, as he, I think, very movingly puts it, written on the hearts of the people Israel. He prophesies of the day when God would be utterly Israel's and Israel would be utterly God's. A hope against hope, so it must have seemed to his hearers at the time. 
But we rec recognize it now as a prophetic vision. How come? Well, friends, fast forward about six centuries from the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Fast forward to an upper room in the holy city of Jerusalem where a young rabbi gathers for Passover supper with his disciples, taking the second cup of blessing at the Passover meal. This young rabbi, Yeshua, Jesus from Nazareth, makes this extraordinary pronouncement. Listen. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we know those, term, those words well. They're from the Mass, the words of consecration. But go back now to that table. You're one of the disciples hearing it for the first time. What are you hearing? You're hearing how Jesus is consciously evoking all of the great covenants of Israel. He's signaling, indeed, an exchange of life between God and his people, this chalice of his blood. But finally, ultimately, he's making bold to identify his covenant with the one predicted by Jeremiah. What he's saying is, in this act of sacrifice and shedding of blood, because that cup is anticipating his death the next day, in that act of sacrifice and shedding of blood, God and his people would at last become blood brothers. Stay with that image, please. Th think of now covenant. I'll be yours, you'll be mine. But think of blood and sacrifice that accompany all the covenants. Think of Moses sprinkling blood on the people, on the altar. What he's saying is, May God and Israel become blood brothers, connected by the deepest bond. May there be a sharing of life. As I say, all the great prophets recognize how the covenants are, are not fulfilled. Israel does not hold up its end of the bargain. But now, now, this Jesus is saying, in the shedding of his blood, what Jeremiah saw at a distance has now become a reality. It's also why, in our gospel for today, that same young rabbi from Nazareth can say, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. What's the lifting up but the lifting up of the crucifixion, the shedding of sacrificial blood? In that act, what's he saying? I'm going to make the whole world into the new Israel. I'm going to make the whole world into the blood brothers and sisters of God. You see, this young rabbi from Nazareth, this Jesus, is the coming together of divinity and humanity. He is the moment when faithful Yahweh finally meets faithful Israel. Do you see how he is the law of God written on the heart of humanity. Now, let's continue to follow the theologic here. God is nothing but love. We heard that last week. 
So therefore, to have the divine life in you is to become utterly conformed to that love. To have the law written on one's heart is to live out the law of the gift. Namely, that your being increases in the measure that you give it away. That's what it means to be a blood brother or blood sister of God. That's what it means to have the divine life in you. Not something you hold on to like it's your private privilege, but rather something that flows through you into the world. It's exactly why Jesus says in our gospel for today, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single grain. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. There it is, everybody. That's the law of the divine life. That's the law of the gift. Unless we fall on the ground and die, that means unless we give ourselves away, we remain but a single grain. This is my little life, my little ego, my little accomplishments. Who cares? But if I become a blood brother of God, I learn how to give my life away as lavishly as he gave his life away, then I will produce much fruit. There's the covenant. That's what the covenant means. That's the fruit of the covenant. Now, just a last point. Notice that we are invited to drink the cup of this new covenant. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. We hear that again at every Mass. And we come forward now to eat the body and drink the blood of the sacrificed Christ. That means we take into ourselves exactly what his sacrifice means. That's why, beautifully, I'll give Thomas Aquinas the last word here. He says the Eucharist is the fulfillment of the law. Because the Eucharist is the moment when that law of God is indeed written in our hearts. When the covenant is not just an external law, but becomes our flesh and our blood. Friends, that's the drama, the beauty of this covenantal language that runs all through the readings for this fifth Sunday of Lent. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'd like to invite you to visit my free YouTube channel and join over 40,000 subscribers. Each week I post video commentaries on topics ranging from Catholic teaching to world news to pop culture. Subscribe free and you'll receive my newest videos straight to your inbox. Just visit youtube.com slash wordonfirevideo.